So I'm a neuroscientist. I've studied neuroscience, undergrad, master's, PhD, and postdoc. And I was fortunate. I was at some of the, the great institutions, MIT, Harvard, and so forth. I was around a lot of smart people, and I was able to write papers that people found to be interesting and went in the right journals. But in the end, I still felt something was lacking. I wasn't able to affect people in their daily lives. So all that was useful and necessary to get me to where I am. But then I needed to build a team and take science out to people through products. And products, in this case, is mostly software. Um, but the big question was, how could I make a difference on people's lives that was tangible and impactful? And I had always known about autism in general, but then one day I was at a symposium and really found out how much unmet need there was, on part of the families especially. And I just happened to have Google Glass on my head, just happened to be thinking about data analytics and predictive algorithms. <laughs> and I put it all together and realized there could be something really, really interesting and transformative here. That's, uh, I'm just thinking of this moment. You just happened to be thinking about what algorithms and this and that and the other, and you had Google Glass on your head, and then it just all of the, the, the light went off, right? Like it does yeah. with all great inventors, you Absolutely. know? I think of Ben Franklin and the kite. Um, but um, thankfully for us as autism parents, this light went off for you. And then how did you go about hooking up with Google and starting to develop this and and what was that process like for you? Well thanks. First of all I had to test my assumptions. I was new to the autism field and I understood that it was deeply entrenched. There were a lot of academics, educators, clinicians, many people in this field and I was just at the periphery. So my idea seemed like a good idea. How was I gonna know? So I went and talked to people. And each person, each type of stakeholder, kept giving me more and more positive feedback. And they say with a startup, everyone's supposed to tell you you're crazy, and that's how you know you're onto something. <laughs> In this case, no one did. For, for the most part, it was, yes, yes, more, yes, please, now, can I have that yesterday for my kid? And I thought, okay, this could be just astounding. Let's even test it more and more and more. Okay, and so, so can we talk I a little bit, Ned, about what, what it is exactly? For viewers who haven't heard of brain power before, what it is and how it works. Can you, can you give them sort of a, a one-on-one course on it? Okay. I'll start with a sentence and back up and, and continue. So first of all, Google Glass allows us to give children a new experience of the world, and that experience is compatible with the way their particular brains learn. But let's make that tangible. For autism, we don't think of it as, as a disease, obviously. And we don't think of it as this one thing. It's a collection of features. And in many people, that means difficulty making eye contact, difficulty in social engagement, and potentially difficulty in language, controlling behaviors, and conversation skills, and so forth. We address those things. So for instance, let's take the scenario of eye contact. If you have a person less likely to make eye contact, a child on the spectrum, what do we do about that? Well, we give them a private view of the world in which adults' faces are their favorite cartoons. 
Suddenly their mom is Olaf from Frozen, their dad is an angry bird, and that's interesting. So it picks their head up, their attention, to look at something that's intrinsically rewarding. It's fun to look at a cartoon. But it doesn't end there. When they do look, then cartoon goes away and they get a point and it becomes a little video game of social engagement. And then we measure that. How many times did they look at someone in the face? And then from there goes to another step. They're seeing this little computer screen and on it faces become interesting and salient. And then when they look, they see a happy face or a sad face on the one side of the person they're looking at. A decode. How is that person thinking or feeling right now in this moment? It's really brilliant, Ned. I know people have told you this, but I, as an autism parent, I want to tell you this. It's really brilliant because uh, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of behaviorists talk about stuff that's on the inside, that uh, the thought process and how do we get on the inside with kids. And, and you have taken Google Glass and given us a way to get on the inside and catch moments in real time and make them reinforcing in a way that is not stigmatizing. It's really brilliant. Let me ask and you about you. one other, excuse me, Ned. Um, I totally get this eye contact thing. I, I read in, in the background research on you that you also can track things such as stereotypy. That's a big problem with my son. He does a lot of uh, physical stereotypy with his hands and verbal stereotypy. How, uh, how does this work with those repetitive movements? What can it do uh, for us with that? Well, thank you very much. So first of all, I think one of my team members is watching this, and if they are, I hope they hear and ask and uh, hear me ask that I'd love to get one of our Google Glass units in here so I can demo it. <laughs> okay, I hope your team hears you. <laughs> in any case, this device that lives quietly on your head measures your head motions 100 times a second in fine scale detail. And so what do we do with that? Well, if a person is rocking, then we can measure how many times, when, what type of rocking. Is it a happy rocking or a nervous rocking, which is individual for the person, and give feedback. Mm -hmm. Also, other motions, flapping your hands or rubbing, uh, these cause motions of the whole body, which means motions of the head. And so we look for the signatures in the motion that relate to that stereotypy. Okay. It can be customized for each person. So at the end of the day, you can see, oh, my child was rocking for 72 minutes today in aggregate. So or, it's a way of tracking data, and then does that then, do you transfer that data to the team of, say, therapists working with your children to see, you know, how your child is either maybe making progress or possibly having, um, you know, regressions in some, some areas? Is that how this would be a tool? We believe in inform the caregiver, empower the person. So we empower the child by giving real-time feedback. Okay. You're, you're rocking, are you upset, do you need some help, mm -hmm. uh, or just a, a color response that indicates that, that something has been noticed. And the parent gets informed, real-time, sure, but also later in these numerical reports. How is my child doing this week versus last month versus a neurotypical child this year? These are questions that are impossible to answer in a clinical setting because it would require writing down absolutely every behavior, 
every ambient noise and things like an internal state which are hard to access. So what do I mean by internal state? Well, we also measure how many times they blink or wink or changes in breathing or heart rate or tone of voice. All of those things indicate stress, indicating a good time for learning uh, or a bad mode for learning. So we get to measure aspects of the body's own signals that give the outside world a clue of what's going on inside and give the person a clue. Wouldn't you want to know when you're about to have a headache or get a little warning that says you probably sound more angry than you really are. Are you stressed? Do you need a walk? Well, we need that as neurotypical adults. So a child who's relatively confused by all the signals that are coming from the inside and from the outside could definitely benefit from that. And that's what parents tell us.